Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. June is Pride Month, and so today we're talking about queer representation in the movies and TV shows and other comic superhero properties that we love. I'm doing this with special guest, Shuri Sondheimer. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. As I said, I've got a special guest this week. Uh, Shuri comes to me by uh, recommendation of Jessica Plummer, who's been a regular guest on this pod- on, the- on this podcast. And I told her that I was looking into doing this uh, queer theory podcast or uh, queer, in- queer representation podcast uh, on MCU and superheroes and Star Wars and all the things we cover. And Jessica recommended you. So Shuri, this is our first time uh, recording together, but I'm really glad to have you here. Uh, say hello and tell us a bit about yourself. Hi. Um, I know just through... Um book riot uh mm-hmm. we share a love of uh batman sidekicks and john constantine um nice. <laughs> important topic yes john constantine uh one of you know an older um character uh bisexual character actually um uh-huh. who has always been canon well actually i guess you call him canon pansexual uh because men women lucifer King Shark. Um, uh, okay, going beyond gender, race, yeah. like species. Like, these things are not what matters Good to uh, for this, him. This, this person. Yeah. Um, Amen. Either <laughs> I meant races in like human race, yes. shark race, etc. Yes. <laughs> oh. um, uh, and also of uh, a TikTok content creator who does fantastic uh, Batman universe skits. Uh-huh. Um, and just, you know, a general, a general love on comics. Uh, she was on a panel that I ran at Emerald City Comic Con a couple of years ago. Oh, nice. Um, that <laughs> focused on uh, Batman's two-panel uh, nude scene um, okay. that broke the internet. And uh, which... I have no experience of Batman sexuality breaking the internet in recent days. Yeah, so oh, I, yeah I no, none that of that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we just we just generally enjoy comics together, have a good time together. Uh, it's been one of one of uh, the privilege of great friendship that has come from uh, writing for Book Riot that I'm really happy. You know, if nothing else, writing for them, I've made some great friends and Jess is one of them. That's fantastic. Yeah. Je- Jessica has been a, a pretty regular guest on this podcast. We first met at WISCON. Uh, fantastic event that uh, obviously has been canceled the last couple of years, but hopefully we'll be back next year, Memorial Day in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and I've just loved having her and some of the people she's introduced me to as well. So, well, so yeah, I'm so excited to have you. And obviously for this particular topic, I know it's one that, that you have a lot of connection to both kind of professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a bit more about kind of where your, what your background is and, and how you're feeling about jumping into this topic. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty open about it. Um, I am myself pansexual, which is sort of an evolution of having identified as bisexual when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really figure out until college um, just because I didn't have the terminology for it. Um as very so i always tell people like kate blanchett and elizabeth and um tilda swinton in orlando were my bisexual awakenings but really they were just my first bisexual confusions Uh um i can see that (laughs) because i didn't have the terminology or understanding of why i was like they make me feel a way but i Mm -hmm. don't know what that way is um until you know i was like i said until i was in college um but you know as as terminology and gender identification has evolved um my 
identification has also evolved. Um, one of my children um, recently came out as non-binary. They are nine. So, and this year, right now, is their first Pride. So we have nice. flags on the house and t-shirts everywhere and um, because they are really excited about that. Um, and um, in terms of, of, you know, why it matters in books and comics and media is because, you know, at various times there have been decent representations in all of those things, but I feel like to a very large extent, um, especially in comics and comics related media, it's either bad representation to begin with, or it's good. And then it gets pulled back. Um, and it's only recently in, I read a lot of genre fiction. So it's only recently in the books I read where it's good representation that sticks the landing. Um, Mm. So I think it's important to talk about um, because wouldn't it be nice for, you know, the kids coming after us to have a bigger pool of media to choose from where they get to see stuff that sticks the landing instead of having to be so hopeful and then, you know, three quarters of the time ending up being disappointed. Yeah. I think that's such a good way to put it. And that really kind of frames why this topic is so important. Um, I think my listeners kind of uh, know a lot about myself, but just for those who are tuning in newly, uh, I'm, I'm myself transgender, non-binary, and I'm bisexual. And, and, and this, so these topics are kind of important to me on a personal level, but also just as, as someone who really cares about representation. You know, we've talked about the importance of black representation, of, of women representation, of Latinx, of people of color, of immigrant stories being told, of indigenous stories being told. And I think in the same way, queer stories being told is so important, as well as in some unique ways that we'll get into. And I love that you kind of started with that about, you know, letting kids see themselves on screen. This being Pride Month, obviously, this is a topic a lot of people are, are getting into. And the number of TikToks that I've seen that refer to like what you're talking about there, the bisexual confusion, you know, the queer confusion, whether it's about gender or sexuality or anything in the whole wide world. One of the things that I hear so often, and I, I think is true for myself is that part of why the confusion comes is because you didn't get to see yourself on screen. You didn't get to see, oh, okay, that person, they're this gender and they love this, someone of the same gender and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And and just how important that is and that that's, it's not the only reason why queer representation matters, but I think it's it's one of the big ones. And, and so I'm so glad that you kind of uh, started out with that. And there's also, I think there's, um, as someone who is starting to watch a sort of broadening amount of, of sea dramas as we get them, Uh Um, There's a a cultural component, too, that I didn't understand, you know, before I started seeing feedback from that community of like, well, they might not kiss because someone could go to jail for that, you know. So for people coming into or participating in in communities that they weren't raised in to remember like you're a guest so if you're going to participate in this particular queer community you need to learn a little bit about it first right i think yeah i think that's one thing i think we'll talk about a lot we talk about representation is the the idea of people getting a chance to tell their own stories Mm -hmm. versus their stories being told by other people Mm -hmm. and that um especially in terms of things like tokenism you know i'm i'm a huge star wars fan 
I want to see queer representation in the Star Wars world. We're starting to get that in some of the novels, and it's great. And I'm going to go to my grave with Finn, Poe, and Rey as a polyamorous triad. <laughs> um, but, like, the the two women kissing in the background at the end of Rise of Skywalker, like, t- to me, that's a perfect example of the kind of tokenism, like, they're throwing that in to try and make people happy. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about representation. I almost left. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, trust me. By that point, there was enough reasons that I was upset about that movie. Oh, yeah. But that's... I actually was just about to publish an article about... Uh, publish a podcast episode about that on my other podcast. Always <laughs> Universe podcast. Free plug. Um, let, let's kind of actually just start with a definition. Because I think for some folks who are not part of these communities or... Um, are, you know, wanting to be supportive, but maybe don't know as much. I think even just the, the word, the use of the word queer may throw some people because mm-hmm. I think for many people associated still as a slur, uh, where, although it's really been kind of reclaimed as a, as a positive term by the community. Can you just say a bit about kind of what, why that word uh, is one that we're using given the, the history of it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have, I have friends who are, you know, LGBTQ plus who don't like it still as well. Right. So and that's also um, legitimate. I think the reason I use it and like it is because I feel like it encompasses everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, including Ace, including Arrow, you know, people who the sexuality part doesn't necessarily factor in or it mm-hmm. specifically doesn't factor in. Um, I feel like that embraces them as well. Yeah. I, I definitely feel the same way. And I, I think a lot of it goes to what, what you were saying before about the the, the changing definitions you know mm-hmm. i uh, I, I don't I, I think we're probably of a similar generation i also grew up at a time where the, the only options were straight gay bi and transgender was something we kind of knew vaguely about um but those discourses were really not kind of part of the or or if they were they were very much about moving from one end of a binary to another mm-hmm. and so bisexual you know was about you know it means that you can love both men and women and uh, and there's a whole debate about the history of that term and things like that. I can only speak from my own experience in the community I was a part of. But yeah, as our as our understandings of what gender is, the definitions of like what genders you're attracted to has changed a lot. Um, you know, the the all these terms are sort of growing and changing. And especially because I think one of the biggest things here is the the need for people to be able to define themselves as they define themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and also recognizing that a lot of our definitions come out of white culture and that there can be concepts like two spirit and things like that that don't really fit any of the established boxes. So so yeah, I, I think I think that's why queer is a word that I like so much. It's totally okay to like some of the other terms like mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus or LGBTQIA plus or whatever it is. But I just wanted folks to understand like if you're hearing that word used, it's not we're definitely not using a slur. It's very much a reclaimed kind of a thing. But also, so you know, to be, good. to be, you know, when I'm speaking to my friends who don't like it, I try to be respectful and not use it. Yeah, of course. You know, it's one of the beautiful things about this, this community is that everybody can find their place in it and yeah. be respectful of each other. Exactly. exactly. And I think that's what gets into, you know, and, and kind of pulling it back to our own topic. There's such a difference between how a person identifies themselves versus someone putting a label on someone else mm-hmm. and and that that can become an issue here when it's about like you know how we see other characters and things like that and and that can be a very positive thing sometimes of like you know a person can see a subtext that someone else doesn't see and that doesn't make it any less legitimate but obviously there's a there's a concern there about making sure that, that um people get to identify themselves in their own terms mm-hmm. so let's dive right into this idea of representation um 
I, I think we've, we've talked about this a lot uh, on this show, but just kind of I'd love to hear from your perspective. Like, we'll get into queer specifically, but in general, why does representation matter in terms of these stories that we love about superheroes and spaceships and, fant- you know, queens and knights with armor and swords and all that and magic? What, why does representation matter in these worlds? I mean, to me, it matters because I think it shows people... I mean, you know, it's kind of the... One of the lines with from from spider-verse that always sticks with me is i love that movie it's the best i'm taking i was taking a screenwriting class and i insisted that we use it one week because not only is it a great animated film it's a great it's a perfect film essentially um is you know anyone can wear the mask and you don't understand that you can be a thing if you don't see it you know you mm-hmm. you know but you don't believe mm-hmm. you have to see it to believe that you can do it yeah and not just for kids for adults too mm-hmm. um it's something yeah, I- that you need to see I'm so glad that you you said that because I think it also really leads into what I think is one of the most important reasons why queer representation is so important. And um, and not to say that it's more important or less important, just in a, a different way than many other kinds of representation, though not all. And it's that for someone who's growing up and, you know, you don't always know who around you is queer. Many people will grow up and not know other queer people or not know if they ha- if people in their lives, in their families. You know, I've... There was a, uh, a black trans activist who I heard who talked about this, and she, she said, you know, growing up, I could look around and see who else was black. And if, you know, someone called me a slur, I knew who I could talk to who would get that. Being being queer, I didn't know who else in my life was this. I didn't know, I, I didn't see those examples of this other group uh, that, I was, that I thought I was a part of around me everywhere. And that really hit me. Again, not in a kind of like making it better or worse, but just as a one reason why this representation becomes so important is because for, you know, not just kind of as a social justice thing, but just in terms of like telling these stories that, you know, you tell a story about a hundred people. Well, statistically, some of them are almost definitely queer of some kind, right. but because the, the social focus is always like, well, we assume people are straight unless any other kind of information is given. Like when nothing about it is addressed, uh, straight and cis just becomes the dominant thing. And, and so that really struck me. I'm kind of curious your thoughts on that about like one reason why queer representation especially is so needed. And I, I also think that it it allows people to play with gender roles mm-hmm. in a way that they don't necessarily. So um, I am a big My Hero Academia fan and mm-hmm. I generally steer clear of the main part of the fandom because there's a lot of garbage people in it. Right. Um but even steering toward the reasonable people adult part of that fandom, Aizawa, who's this, you know, for people who don't know, like a very gruff, sort of bad tempered, always needs coffee and a nap teacher, um, I don't know if you would even say he's queer coded in the show. I think that's something people read into because they need to and they want to. And that's fine. And I don't disagree, mm-hmm. actually. Um, but it doing for people to do that with that character. He's 
like the den father of the apocalypse. He has these 20 students who can't stay out of trouble. And he essentially adopts this little girl who has a lot of trauma in her past. But that allows people to play with this with this gender role of who's fit to be a father. Mm, okay, I can see that. And it's it's for it's people coding him as queer in their heads generally that allows them to do that with him. Yeah. Um, Which is in and of itself that says so much about like does the person have to be queer right. in order to not fill a like toxic masculine idea of gender in order to break out of different gender roles and things like right. that. Right. And on the show he's I would not say that he's necessarily queer coded on the show. Um he's not not either. Yeah. But so it's it's interesting that in both the queer coded and the not queer coded role, he still plays this father figure role to like these twenty disaster children. Um <laughs> But, you know, like I said, I think it allows people to to play with gender roles because he is he's like, you know, he's he's a misanthrope. He doesn't particularly like people, but he will die for these 20 children. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting that way, too. I can see that. I can see that. And I think that part of what that also gets at is I think it is super important that people be able to see themselves on screen but I'm not just – I don't think this representation matters just for, you know, queer kids and cis kids right. or, and adults. I think for the whole society, a, a lot of the way – you know, the, a lot of the way we understand the world comes to us from the media we watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one thing like Queer Eye and, and Will and Grace, which I, I think a lot of people can have a lot of feelings about if that's helpful or, or harmful uh, representation, especially Will and Grace. Although I think it's a lot of questions of like what was helpful then and how it's aged. Right. There's a whole uh, tinderbox there I'm not trying to open up. And I think those are great, but I also think having representation not just be kind of pigeonholed into any one part of media and having it be like, hey, you know, you're doing stories about people who race cars. Well, queer people race cars Mm -hmm. and and you're having stories about, you know, superheroes. Well, if anyone can be a superhero, that includes queer folks. And I I just think that that's such a, um, you know, I think for a lot of my straight friends I know, that's one thing we've talked about a lot is that. They're like people who are now coming to me now that I've started asking people to use they, them pronouns and things like that. You know, one of their first thoughts is like, look, they want to support me. They want to help me. But they've never seen a representation of this before. Right. And it's because like I can't think of a character on a major TV show or movie that's asked for someone to use they, them pronouns. You know, it's just not we're starting to get those stories. But when you think about how much the stories really affect everything around us, it's why these stories being told matter so much. Right. Right. And it's. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's, I actually just wrote a piece for Book Riot on, and I, I learned this from a panel also at Emerald City Comic Con, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I'm trying to remember who was on it. I know CB Lee was on it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who else, and I can't. Um, where they talked about the importance of writing books where characters were queer but being queer wasn't the point of the story and how important that was Mm -hmm. and i actually just wrote a piece like it's an important part of the character but it's not the point of the story yeah and i actually just wrote a piece um, for book riot about four books that are coming out four fantasy books that are coming out in the next like six months 
that are that have queer main characters and obviously being queer is an important part of their life and is part of the story but it's not the point of the book yeah. and how important that it's just for for queer readers but also like you said for straight readers to be like oh people can just have this as part of their lives and get on with their business right like people can do other stuff besides be queer yeah, I think that's something we're definitely going to get into. I think the, that whole range of representation is needed. You know, everything from, yeah, if we're going to do rom-coms, let's have more queer rom-coms. And, uh, you know, let's have, you know, stories where there's a, a love interest in the superhero movie that our hero has to rescue. And it's same gender or, you know, trans or any of these kind of stuff. Or even, but, believe it or not, that two important characters in a book can be queer and not romantically interested in each other. They can just also super be friends. Important. Yeah, because I was going to say is that the, that's the flip side is, you know, also showing that, you know, queer ace, ace is queer, but you know, that that identity, but also someone can be, you know, intersecting identities of that sort or or just um and, and we're going to talk about it in a bit. But one of my favorite recent examples of this is uh, Mitchell's versus the machines, mm -hmm. which uh, small spoiler for something at the very end, although it's not really a huge plot point. And the movie's been out a little while by now. But in the movie, the. The, the, there's no romance plot whatsoever. Maybe a little bit with like the uh, the, the younger son of the family. <laughs> there's like a ten year old flirtation there, but our main character is seventeen or eighteen, about to go off to college, and they show her at one point like exploring different ways to identify herself, and she kind of plays with like different gender roles of clothing, mm -hmm. and so you're like, okay, that's interesting. And then the, throughout the whole movie, the character is wearing a little rainbow pin. And talking about all the friends she wants to see, including uh, particularly mentioning often uh, a woman named Jade, or at least a, a person with a female-sounding name, certainly. I don't know how they present in the movie, but that's kind of the whole point. It's so open. After the whole movie, I remember watching it going like, huh, mm -hmm. it, is this just something they're sort of saying as a like, well, we want you to think that, but not, not offend people by not saying it. So I, I was kind of like, okay, I'm not sure where this is going to go. Until at the very end of the movie, in just kind of a throwaway line, uh, our hero is talking to her mother and her mother says, oh, yes. So are you bringing Jade home with you? And she responds like, mom, we've only been official for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Tiny moment. But it just made very clear. Oh, hey, that thing that you're thinking this whole movie about, like, I think this is a queer character who's the hero. Yep. She is queer. Canonically, we're not hiding it at all. Mm -hmm. I loved that because it wasn't about her romance. It wasn't about her struggle to find her gender identity. It wasn't about her coming out. Her queerness was just a fundamental part of who she was, but one that never had to be commented on. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that, you know, the coming out story is still important as well, but also this kind of representation just matters so much. Yep. So let's get into kind of some definitions here, because um, you've used the term uh, queer coding a bit, and I think related to that often is, and a term that often gets thrown around in these circles is queer baiting. Can you say a bit about um, how do you, let's start with queer baiting. How do you define that term? I mean, for me, for me, queer baiting is when the writing deliberately drops hints that a character or characters are queer and then they're not. So for me, mm -hmm. that's a, for me, that's sort of a deliberate bait and switch, which is crappy. Yeah. Um, that's an on-purpose. For me, queer baiting is an on-purpose thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most obvious example in, in these communities that gets talked about all the time is Supernatural. 
where the the uh, the writers have been you know on record as saying that they knew fans loved the uh, Dean Castiel pairing and they wanted to sort of give enough flirtation there that that people who wanted to see that were like, yes, yeah, see, they are. Now we can go write all our fanfics and, and have that belief. But they were very careful to never specifically say it or to even say clear things in the opposite direction in order to, you know, never have to deal with people saying, oh, my God, you put gay people on Supernatural or whatever. And and, and so I, th- I think, complete, please say more, but I think that that's one of the reasons why it's often seen in a very bad way because it's kind of a... Pandering isn't quite the right word, but it's something equivalent of we want you to want this enough that you'll pay, you'll you'll give us your money and your viewership, but we're not going to give you the actual representation because we're scared of the people who don't like you. I'm kind of glad I stopped watching Supernatural before any of that got mm-hmm. real heavily. <laughs> I think I started wa- stopped watching after season four. Right. Um. Yeah, so for me, the difference between the baiting and pandering is pandering would be for them to have actually given it to people. <laughs> mm. um, I feel like baiting is sort of deliberately mean. Yeah. Um, because you, with baiting, I feel like you know that you're not going to give it to people. Right. So it's kind of cruel in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. I think one thing that is brought up all the time, especially when people talk about like shipping and the fan fiction idea of, you know, if two characters of the same gender have like strong feelings for each other, even if in the show it doesn't, it's not either confirmed or isn't even kind of like that explicit that they're romantic or sexual with each other. You know, people will love to kind of say, well, but what if these two characters are, or in my understanding of it, in my head canon, they are. And a lot of it comes from just, there's just this dearth of representation. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I heard a great, um, uh, TikTok about this earlier today, actually, where a person was saying, like, look, if I had male-male French, male-male romantic relationships to look to all the time, I wouldn't have to be like, wait, but what if Bucky and Steve are gay for each other? What if, um, you, you know, what if uh, uh, the characters in Supernatural are gay for each other? And, and both of those, I think, are legitimate possibilities. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the the TikToker was saying, like, if Finn and Poe, if, if Finn and Poe were kissing, you know, if the, if you had, it's because there's so little representation right. that people are so desperate to find it. Right. And so that, yeah, I, I think the cruelty is really there because a, a sort of part of the assumption seems to be you are so desperate for any kind of representation that you'll accept these kind of scraps that we're giving you. Right. And we don't ever have to give you actual representation. Right. And, you know, I feel like it... <laughs> Would... I don't know. I <laughs> it makes me mad because why would it matter if they gave the actual representation? Yeah. What's the big deal? Yeah, it it's especially in this day and age, you know, I I can understand I, I don't in any way justify it or make it okay, but 20 years ago, 30 years ago when the thought of, you know, the Christian rights going to boycott you like I hate the idea that anyone ever gave up artistic integrity for that kind of nonsense, but sure. But like today we have people like openly critiquing how many of these corporations are like, you know, the rainbow pride and all this right. uh, rainbow capitalism uh, today. Literally we're talking to each other on zoom. When I opened up zoom.com to, to create this call, the word zoom was in rainbow on the website. I was just like, and there's a whole bunch of positive and negative feelings about that. 
But I do feel like we are now... I want to say that we're past the point where that would matter, but the unfortunate thing is that's probably not entirely true. There are people in the audiences who would stop watching these things. And, and um, to me, that's not a justification. That's the entire reason why it should be pushed forward. Because I think you're right. Like, there isn't, there isn't really a good reason. It's just so much of it is... Same reason why people didn't want to make women-led movies or didn't want to make, uh, until very recently, uh, Asian male as, you know, romantic sexy figures as action heroes and things like this. It's it's just a studio fear in so many ways. Right. I mean, I cannot tell you, <laughs> June 1st, how many people on my on my timeline on Twitter were screaming at Lucasfilm for their mm-hmm. rainbow logo. They were like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you don't get to claim it if you're not going to do yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So... I- I mean, what percentage of their of their regular viewership was Supernatural going to lose? Like, they're not going to lose the Christian rights. Christian right doesn't watch Supernatural anyway. You know, people are doing weird stuff with demons. So yeah, the, the, given that God is the enemy of at least one or two seasons, right. I think we've lost the Christian right to begin yeah. with. Yeah. So I mean, we were watching demons for entertainment. Was that really gonna? That was never going to be the Christian rights show of choice anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's, I don't know. I think it's stupid. Yeah. Well, my so, so my nine and 11 year olds think it's stupid. I yeah. mean, my kids, my, my kids have fundally, fundamentally understood this since they were very small. You know, my, my son, when my son was six, five, mm-hmm. My sister-in-law and I were talking about the then ridiculous bathroom bill in North Carolina, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And he he asked what we were talking about, so we told him. And so my sister-in-law said, well, if, if Aunt Jessie realized that they were Uncle Jesse, which bathroom would they use? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he looks at us with his five-year-old face and goes, the boys' room, duh. <laughs> like... My my five year old is smarter than all of the legislators in yeah. North Carolina. Um, Broadway musicals are a little bit outside of the normal realm of, of superhero media that I cover, although I do love them as well. And and I would go all the way back to South Pacific, you know, a mu- musical from the '40s, where one of my favorite songs from that musical is "You Have to Be Carefully Taught," and it's all about how you know children aren't born thinking that like loving people of one gender makes more sense than another, or that changing your gender or coming to understand what your gender is at a different point in your life is wrong or or same thing with race and all this kind of stuff like it's not born into us it has to be taught it as the song says it has to be whispered in their dear little ear mm-hmm. if you haven't heard a fantastic song definitely try and google it um and, and i think i think this is exactly it and, and and it's part of to me why you know one of the ways we whisper it in their ear is by having it always be they're always the characters are always straight. The characters are always cisgender, and that's it, it's one more reason why I think this is uh, so important to change. But I mean, Doom it, Doom Patrol did it, yeah. and that show is wildly popular. So yeah. I don't know if you need proof that it's not a problem. There's now proof that it's not a problem. You know, yeah, I, 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 I explaining the logic of corporate America is not something I'm going to try and defend Same. on, this, on mean... this episode. But yeah, I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> Well, and so that's queer baiting. You've used the term queer coding, which I think is seen very differently. Uh, how would you define queer coding as opposed to that? Well, and again, and this is just my definition. Right. Is for whatever reason, people choose not to or can't necessarily 
mm-hmm. you know, outwardly display characters as queer, but through what they say to each other or how they act toward each other, make it obvious that they are. Right. And and how does that feel different to you? Like you talk about queer, queer, queer baiting as being mean. And I think queer coding is often thought of in much more positive terms. Um, well, again, you know, sometimes it's a choice of writing, but also sometimes, right. like I said, something that I've learned in the last year watching television, um, you know, from other countries where it's not as acceptable to be queer mm-hmm. is that sometimes that's what you can do. Right. If you want people to be able to see themselves. Yeah. Um, because some places there are still censors that mm-hmm. tell you what you can and can't show on television. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people go to prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um for writing things or making television shows or acting in them. Um, Or, you know, sometimes it's a choice for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that kind of covers a lot of why it happens. It certainly can be because people feel like they can't get away with a story somewhere else. And that that certainly happens in other places where the the censorship is more official. But as we've been talking about here, there's certainly a lot of that censorship in, in the United States, to be sure. And also, as you said, that that also sometimes it can be, you know, it's not even a censorship thing. It's just a, we want to let you know what this character is in a way that the people who get it are going to get it. And if you don't, that's fine. To me, I think a great example of this can be the the character that Kate McKinnon played in the new Ghostbusters, Holtzman. And that character is like, there's many things you look at her and like, yeah, that's a lesbian. That's that's kind of like the, and not in like a, a, a stereotypical judgmental way, but in a very like, yeah, that's, that is someone of that, uh, that, that seems to be a representation of that community. And a lot of, fo- a lot of queer women I knew went crazy about that character and was super excited about it. And this is where I heard a lot of this, this conversation about queer coding versus queer baiting for the first time about, because the difference there, what, and I think to me, one of the biggest differences is if something is queer coded, it's giving you enough information without ever actually confirming it, but also never going in any way to try and deny it. Mm-hmm. And I do know the writers later did confirm that that was the case. You know, to, like to me, a great example of the denial is the kind of ridiculous plot line they give Poe in the last Star Wars movie, Revenge, Rise of Skywalker, where all of a sudden we're seeing him with this woman who they used to have a connection with and maybe right. he's still interested in. Which was funny because then everyone was just like, nah, he's just by then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I Thank you. I would have always thought, I would have always thought, Pi, you know, I, I think Poe is in that same, like, Constantine, like, okay, right. how many legs do you have? How many heads do you have? Right. And still make this work, you know? Like, any speed, if you had a heartbeat or three heartbeats, we can make this work. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, him and Lando, same boat. But I, but I do think they very much put it in, in a way to be like, no, 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 Poe wouldn't be into Finn. Look at this pretty girl he's into. Right. And to me, that's what makes it like the queer baiting, because it was we're going to we're going to not only tell you that it's not we're going to hint at it, but not only not confirm it, we're going to go the other way. Well, and the, uh, the thing was, right, was that was that Ryan Johnson went closer and then J.J. J. Abrams was like, nope, leave room for Jesus. Right. Yeah. So that I I also thought that was part of what what made. Finn and Poe queer baiting instead of queer coding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think 
I, I'm very much more a Ryan Johnson fan than a J.J. Abrams fan. I, I agree with you on that, but I would also say that Last Jedi had the Finn um, uh, Rose romance, which was also a great storyline, but I did think was kind of like, yeah, no, he's that's not true. interested in either the guy or the white woman. Look, he's interested in a woman of color. That's safer. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a whole other side of <laughs> can yeah. of worms, to be sure. Yeah. I mean, queer coding also does, you know, we were talking about the beginning, how sometimes people aren't sure and are Mm -hmm. still figuring themselves out. So I think queer coding also gives people that opportunity. Like I'm watching, um, I'm watching Skate the Infinity right now. And the two younger characters, Reiki and, and Langa, like they're both the way they're reading to me is queer coded, but I think part of it is because that they haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. So they're definitely friends, but they're noticing things about each other that thing that people who are more than friends would notice, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that they've noticed that yet. Yeah. I mean, you talked about your kids kind of growing up with no feelings about this one way or the other. They're just like, of course, this is how it is. Uh, There's a piece I was reading about um, generational understandings of sexuality and was saying, like, look, if you have a Gen Z character in your show, they need to be to some extent queer coded because the whole damn generation is. Um, Which, you know, made a lot of sense to me in terms of like just the the comfort with the exploration and the openness. And you don't like no one comes out because um, speaking huge generalities here, but because straightness and cisness aren't assumed in anywhere the same amounts. Right. So, and kind of connected to that, and we are going to get more into these specific stories, but I wanted just to use all this to kind of frame the debate and the discussion. I think the last thing to get into there is in terms of like actual queer representation that we've talked about, because I think we've started to get into why just having two people, two men or two women kiss on screen, that that isn't enough. That 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 and that can be actively bad sometimes. What do you think is the problem with things like you know the 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 two women kissing in Star in Rise of Skywalker or the very brief mention of uh, in Marvel Endgame, like one person saying in a support group, you know, as a man, my husband, so and so. What what why why do we often kind of look at that and go like that's not what the representation we're asking for? Because that's not a relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what people need to see, both queer people and straight people, like you were saying before, again, it's like it's like we were saying, it's because it's not, it's not a surprise and it's not voyeurism. It's it's regular life, right? And it's regular relationships, and you know. People get together and they live together and they get married and they have kids and sometimes they stay together and sometimes they break up and sometimes they get back together and sometimes they don't. And mm-hmm. it it just needs to be a part of life, not like a, a snippet of action. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, the particular problem for two women kissing is that that's voyeurism for dudes a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, that's a problem. I mean, that particular kiss was not voyeurism for dudes. That was just ridiculous appeasement that did nothing. But, yeah, you know, historically, um, yeah, two the way those things can be shown for the male gaze are for the male gaze. Exactly. Very common. Um, and you know what? To be perfectly fair, 
a lot of the yaoi manga is for the female gaze. Let's not pretend that it doesn't happen the other way. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to some extent, like you know, the male gaze having been catered to for such a long time, the female gaze has been catered to for a little while. I don't sure. know the biggest. We we actually did a whole episode on a female thir- uh, thirst of male bodies in the MCU and things like that. So, but you're right. It's let's at least acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it never goes the other way. Although, yeah. you know, to be fair, America's ass is for everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> also very true. Also very true. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> I was talking to someone about the, uh, Nightwing, the Nightwing butt appreciation society the other day, mm-hmm. also for everyone. Um, <laughs> but you know, little, again, it's those, those little snippets make it sensational instead of life. Yeah. And it's, it's, it deserves to be life just like everyone else's life. And I think that's the, the, the important part there because it goes back to this idea of when that's all we get. Right. You know, it, I don't think either one of us is saying, I know certainly I'm not, that any time a queer character appears on screen, they have to have a romantic partner and a coming out story and all. It's very much the opposite. It's that if we were getting enough queer stories and actual like where where their identity is a huge part of their story or even just like a, a small thing like in Mitchell's vs. the Machines – if we're getting more of both of those stories, then yes, the just when five couples all grab each other and kiss each other, yeah, at least one or two of them should probably not all be heterosexual. I mean, you know, statistically, when, at least one of those couples is going to be queer, right? Like when a bunch of people are talking in a support group, having one of them just casually mention, you know, yeah, and and my you know my partner uh, as they've transitioned, that's been something we're working through, or you know, whatever it is. Like, it's not that the offhand references are bad. Is that it's all we're getting. Right. And to me, I think another part of this that's so important is the, the stereotyping and tropes. And, and and to me, I think an easy way to kind of think of this is we're fine. This is finally changing to some extent, although it's still not great. But like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if a black person appeared in a action movie, they were probably a drug dealer right. or a cop. Or if it was a woman, she was often a sex worker of some kind. Or she was a... Uh, you know, large mother, uh, or she was a, a larger-bodied uh, older woman who was a mother right. who was portrayed in like a very particular way, and you know, in the same kind of way, I feel like for me, as someone who was born in the '70s, who grew up in the '80s and '90s, HIV/AIDS and queer bashing were two incredibly important parts of the LGBT existence right. at that time, and. I know there's people today who don't aren't aware of that story in the same way. And so telling those stories is important. But there got to be a point where it became almost this joke uh, in a very bitter, angry way by the late 90s, early 2000s, that you couldn't have a gay story, especially about a gay male, unless a major character got AIDS or was beaten up for being gay. Right. And... Like, you know, now it becomes the, like, every black person has to be a drug dealer or every black person, you know, or every Asian person has to be a scientist or whatever the awful stereotype is that, uh, you know, I'm comparing apples and oranges a bit there because obviously there's a lot of truth to those stories in the the queer community. But I'm just using it as the example of, like, when you only tell one version of the story, you know, when every transgender character is a very, like, loud and out drag queen stereotype, you know, like that's... You're shaping and you're cutting off so much of that rest of the world. But this is... Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is a place where 
fantasy and superheroes can do a great service though because mm-hmm. you can have a sensational story where all these ridiculous huge magical weird things happen and being queer is just part of the character's life yeah you know what i mean like it's a good transitional space for all of that um have you read katie edwards books no i haven't um okay it's the series is called the tarot cycle Mm -hmm. and um the general specifics are so there are these few remnants of Atlantis's society that are able to do magic that kind of live integrated with the human world um and they run around doing magical things and mm-hmm. um the main character is gay his best friend is gay and they are they are the characters I was mentioning who are best friends and gay and have never had sex and aren't particularly interested in each other that way. Right. Um, there's not even jealousy when a boyfriend comes in, mm. which is I, one of my favorite things about the series. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and obviously this is an important part of all of their lives, but the main crux of the story is that they're running around doing magical things. Yeah. So it's this great transitional space where you have room to explore everyone's sexuality in the context of the world, but it doesn't have to be the focus of the story. And so, you know, therefore you, because it's a magical world, you know, you don't have to obey the reality tropes right like we talk all the time about the importance of like if you're creating a fantasy world of dragons and warlocks and goblins why does racism have to exist in your world right. in the same way like homophobia and transphobia that you don't need them uh if, if there's dragons then already we're kind of outside the bounds of reality right um or listen to a different idea of reality and this world has like there's hereditary thrones mm-hmm. but there's an adoption clause Oh, I love that. I love that. That's built in. Like, they just figure, well, some people are going to be gay. So here's how here's how we pass those thrones along. And it just is. One of my favorite examples of this on screen, I've talked a bit about this before. And I mean, also talk about kind of other things. This is very, very much a kid's show, but with incredibly adult themes, but in in good, healthy ways. Uh, Have you seen the TV show Shira? Yes. Yeah, the new version of it, I think I think. It very explicitly is the most queer-friendly piece of media that, in terms of superheroes, action, fantasy, sci-fi, because it kind of is all of those things, um, the most queer-friendly I've ever seen. And and the author was very intentional about that and said, in this world, you should assume characters are queer. Don't mm-hmm. don't assume anyone is straight unless we specifically tell you that. And, you know, you think about it, and you're like, this is a world where anthropomorphic cats and lobsters and other creatures are running around. This is Mm -hmm. a world where there's a whole bunch of these tween and teenage princesses who each have different powers related to the kingdoms they come from. But they're all kind of like in this great world. This is, there's so many things that aren't real. So why in the world would heterosexuality and cisgender out, you know, um, cissexism have to be a part of this world. And 
the representation is so well done because they cover all sides of it. They do, they have the characters who are just, you know, it's not a thing. Uh, there's a, a character who is, I'm trying to do this in a way that's not spoilery, very much kind of a villain uh, from some perspectives. And is also in a kind of non like they're very much, they're non-binary, they, they're a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of shift between genders and everyone uses they, them pronouns for them. Yeah, it's never an issue. Yeah, including when they're like, oh my God, they stabbed us in the back. They're terrible. We have to kill them. Mm-hmm. But they still don't misgender them. Anymore. And they actually got a non-binary voice actor to yes. do the voice, which was a big deal. Yeah, that that I thought was again. And and, and the fact that that, that was, you know, and there's a, a great storyline about, you know, two romantic people being separated because one of them's captured and their spouse mm-hmm. really wants to get them back. And it's two women. Um it, it, to me, is just such a great example of the way you can have that whole range of stories. And because, again, also the coming out story is an important story. Um, and I love like you maybe can talk more about this, but I know uh, in the X-Men comics, a little bit in the movies, like in the movies, I think there was some queer coding more than queer baiting. But especially in the comics, when Chris Carpenter took over, the idea of the X-Mutation as a metaphor for queerness really became an important part of the stories in ways that I think were, you know, Angel kind of coming out as a mutant was very clearly a metaphor that that people could look to as to me there it's not direct representation but still very it's it's so clear like look we're telling your story in a completely different way and yet here's the unfortunate thing about (laughs) Mm X-Men is that they have they went and made some characters gay and then they pulled it all back Mm. they uh erased the character's memory oh god so really? now he doesn't know he was gay yeah Iceman was uh, it was a big lovely. deal when bobby drake came out and then mm. they pulled it all back yeah and and that obviously can be a big problem um the other thing I, where i thought you're gonna go and i'd love to hear you talk about it a bit because i know you mentioned this as we were getting ready for this is that one thing that seems to be happening often is that when queer characters move from uh, the comic book pages onto the big screen, they're basically straight washed, that their their queerness is left out of who they are as a character. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like give some examples of why it's so problematic? Well, there. I don't understand why you would choose to make movies of those characters if you're not going to do it yeah although it it depends so the other issue is that well let's let's start can you give a couple examples of where that's happened now i'm trying to think of who i said (laughs) um well deadpool is canonically like john constantine Mm -hmm. pansexual although i have heard and i don't know if this is true that Ryan Reynolds is insisting that Deadpool have a boyfriend in the next movie. Right. Um, and I can believe that of him, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, so I, I know I know Rogue is canonically uh, bi in the comics, and that's something we haven't really seen on the screen is? at all. Rogue? Rogue. So is Gambit. Right. Actually, um, Gambit's creator has written several articles about how <laughs> he has... He always wrote Gambit as bisexual, and Marvel always toned him down, but he always intended for the character to be bisexual. 
Mm-hmm. Um, although thus far on screen, not only has Gambit been hetero, he's also been incredibly boring. And that's ridiculous because yeah. <laughs> he's a fantastic character and he's ridiculous. And he was my first crush Aww. <laughs> ever that I can yeah. remember um, because he's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds fun. Let's see who else. I know Mystique also is canonically queer. Uh, Harley Quinn, at least they, she's another, she's an example where they have at least made her canonically they queer. They have. And actually I got, show. I got a bag of pride stuff from dc this year and they have harley and ivy kissing on stickers that's great and i think there might be a new series coming out that's harley and ivy together as girlfriends yeah well i know like after season two of the harley show that's certainly where they ended up yes and i i believe that a season three is going to be coming out at some point where yeah hopefully they'll be exploring that even further it has happened periodically um, they've never stayed together, mm-hmm. um, but they are both, well, Harley, I believe is bi, and I, I think Poison Ivy is a lesbian. I think, mm-hmm. um, some of, I have a small issue with that in that s- some of it is very male gazy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, however, conceptually, I really like it. Um, and there was definitely an episode of the animated series where Ivy kind of saved her from the Joker and they were living together. That was mm-hmm. definitely queer coded. It was from the mid 90s. So right. they definitely weren't going to go all out then. But right. it was definitely there. Um, the, one other, the other example I was going to bring up is Io from the Black Panther Marvel stories in the in the cartoon yes. in the comics. I know is very clearly out as oh. a lesbian, and, and and my understanding is that 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 she, she was originally written that way, mm-hmm. and Marvel producers nixed that, and that's part of why you have her having the romance with the the guy from the Border Tribe. Yes, and it in fact gets her in trouble with mm. the. It gets she and her partner get kicked out of the Dora Milaje. Because oh, they're they're all supposed so in the Worlds of Wakanda comic, all of the Dora Milaje are supposed to be potential wives for T'Challa. Right. So not only are they not supposed to be in relationships with other men, they're definitely not supposed to be in relationships with each other, because their two jobs are to defend Wakanda, which you know that can't be compromised by their being in relationships. But they're also all supposed to be potential wives for the king oh interesting which definitely means they're not supposed to be lesbians right so they got in big trouble yeah and like um, I, I can see why like that part of the story was definitely nixed for the the on screen but but yeah to, to have her character to specifically give her character a male partner just seems there's no reason for it yeah it's kind of um, a bummer that series got cut short and roxanne gay and yona harvey were writing it and it was mm-hmm. really good yeah and the other example that I want to bring up, because I think it's still very much a question mark as to what they're going to do with it, uh, is Loki. Because, you know, we're now yes. getting this TV show of Loki, and we're getting some little hints, like we're, we have... I uh, have his... a problem if what they did in the second episode is what they're going to do, though. Right. Well, let me just kind of give the background for those okay. who don't know. Like, in the canons, the, in the canon, the character is very canonically queer in terms of both his attractions and his gender being very fluid. 
and and they listed that that in the show he, he, fluid was gender in this one shot you kind of zoom in to see but but i but also you want to talk about true canon like loki the character from norse mythology or the character god of norse mythology that many people still adhere to uh you know is also canonically queer and gender queer and so, and species gender fluid and species fluid yes exactly so so yeah so i i think a lot of people have very high hopes going into the loki show I, I, I won't sort of say, like, you know, when you look at, like, how much Falcon and the Winter Soldier was willing to really tackle race and racism head on, that I was kind of hoping this show might do something even close to that in terms of queerness. What's your what's your take so far on how Loki is handling those questions? I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Are, are we, is this, is it okay for me to be specific for spoilers? Yes, and I'll okay. say, um, for those who don't want to know, um, we're about to discuss something that happens in episode two of Loki, including a fairly big reveal at the very end. So if you haven't seen that, probably skip ahead like five, ten minutes. Okay. So <laughs> my problem is this. A female variant is not the same thing as gender fluidity. It's yeah. just a female variant. It's just... It's just a Loki in a different timeline. That's not yeah. gender fluidity. Yeah. I I, I was I'm, like, at first I was like, oh, and then I was like, oh, I didn't like yeah. that. If that's what they meant by making Loki gender fluid, that is a giant cop out. Yeah. It, it's one that I, I, I want. I mean, we still have two thirds of the show to go. So I want to give them a chance. But I am kind of trepidatious as we're going forward uh-huh. because, and, and I know it, I mean it's kind of a hard situation because on the one hand, like a part of me thought that having Tom Hiddleston, you know, portraying a version of Loki that was female would be very interesting, uh-huh. uh, especially if they could do it in a like positive way that wasn't portrayed as like haha a man's in drag and he really could do it like, and he would do it right and I think when I when, you know I think there's a, a pushback there of the. There's a strong idea right now of we don't want, like, cis actors playing trans roles. And, like, he, with Loki, I think it just gets much more complicated because Tom Hiddleston's been playing the character for so long. And sort of the, like, does it mean that once you start with a character being cis or straight, you can't ever explore that later? And I think I, that's a, a whole can of worms I don't think you or I are going to be able to solve in this moment by any means. But I can see arguments on all sides. But I certainly feel like there, there's... There's so much room between just doing that versus having, like you said, a completely different variant. Here's my hope. For, go Here's ahead, my hope. For now, that variant was very short and blonde. Mm-hmm. Lady Loki has never been blonde mm-hmm. and has never been that much shorter than male Loki. So my hope right. is that it's Angela. Mm-hmm. Enchantress character, I believe. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't ask if I was allowed to swear. Um, it's okay. <laughs> that is my hope, is that it's Angela. Right. And that we get an actual Lady Loki Correct. at some point down the road. Yeah, and I, I think that could be a really interesting way to do it. And I, I think it doesn't have to be played by Tom. I think in some ways maybe it's better if it's not played it by could, Tom. Or, yeah, but you know, it needs but, to be a fluid Loki, not a variant. Because a variant is yeah. just a different timeline person. It's not, yeah, I, that's not fluidity. Yeah, to me, the key is that the Tom Hiddleston version of Loki has to understand that this is this is him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is them. This is a version of, instead of it just like, oh, on a different universe, you're 
like like to me like in you mentioned in the Spider Verse, wonderful movie. In one of the things I love about it is that Peter B. Uh, Peter B. Parker is canonically Jewish, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. It's not saying that therefore every Peter Parker is Jewish because it's a distinctly different person. It's right. saying what if Peter Parker were Jewish, which I think is great because I think you can say Peter Parker is Jewish coded in a lot of ways. Certainly, uh, like a lot of the early Marvel heroes coming from Queens and Brooklyn. Right. But um, but it's a different person, and I feel like that's that's kind of how I feel. Like this is a yep. okay. What if Loki, but a woman, which is different than saying what if Loki is gender fluid or trans or trans or in some ways, and and yeah, I, I think that's that's what I need is I need there to be some relevant recollection, some acknowledgement by all of the Lokis that are there that they're all the same person, just in these different you know, um, whether it's just the fluidity or like just at different points in time or whatever it is, and I I, I don't know how they're gonna do it, and I. I have to believe that they know how much anger they're going to generate if they claim that. So, because they very specifically said, like, we're going there with this character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they like they have to be, I, I want to say they have to be savvy enough to know that doing that and then not delivering in any real way is going to be a real problem. But eh, it's Disney, so who the hell knows? <laughs> it's the same. It, it comes down to sort of the same issue I have with them casting. So... <laughs> Usually I don't care, but I really thought that it was important for them to cast a Jewish actor as um, Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love Oscar Isaacs and won't watch him in anything because I will. Yep. <laughs> um, and since they didn't, I think it's really important for them to have at least a couple of Jewish writers mm-hmm. in the writer's room. Because that's a really important part of the character. Right. So my question is, do they have gender fluid writers in the writers' room? Because if they don't, they might really yeah. screw it up. Yeah, it's gonna I, hurt I think a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. It's gonna, and that's both in terms of, um, you know, hurting folks who are trans, gender fluid, or, or, or anything in that realm of, um, you know, being being really hurt by this. But also, like what we talked about, you know, I'm in terms of like p- cis people being exposed to these topics mm-hmm. often for the first time. Um, exposed sounds like a terrible thing. Like, I think it's great. And I just to give an example of this. Like, I know there's some folks who watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier and wish that the racial analysis had gone much deeper. And I get that. But one of the things that I was so struck by as, as someone who was really spending a lot of time with, you know, fans who are, you know, love Marvel, but aren't necessarily maybe the most like plugged into these kind of discussions and people who are saying like oh you know i watched sam and the banker and i got it in a way i never really had you know i got what we mean about the microaggressions or like having bucky straight out say like me and steve were wrong we should have given more awareness to the difficulties inherent in giving the mantle of captain america to a black man but because of our own like you know they don't use these words but they're basically saying like because of our like our privilege, we never had to think about that, so we didn't think about that for you. The number of white people I know who were really moved by that in a not like a uh, when I say moved, I mean educated by that, who really like have had a shift in their understanding because of that. Mm-hmm. Loki's an opportunity to do that too. Yep. For a lot of people, Loki is going to be someone's when they meet someone who says I'm gender fluid, they're going to think of this TV show as what introduced them to that concept. Mm-hmm. And so, if it's a really badly done thing. That's a big problem. Yep. 
So and and like like I said, I do have a lot of hope because I think a lot of the things the show has done have been very good. It's a it's a great show in, in so many ways. But but yeah, I and I think what you're asking there about our folks in the writers' room, and that kind of introduces something I think that's a really good way of of, of bring us into that topic itself. I think when we talk about representation, our first thought often is to the characters on screen. Why is it that the people in the writers' room having representation there also matters so much? Because that's the people who understand it the best. Yeah. You know, if if you're trying to write someone's experience, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, that, you know, mm-hmm. in the moment. But if you're trying to write someone's experience, someone who has that experience should be writing it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's so true, and especially when it's stories that haven't been told enough, you know, mm-hmm. because, as I said, we do have stories of transgender people being told, but often it's, you know, oh, look, men in drag, isn't that funny? Right. Or sex workers uh, who are victims of violence, which, again, I mean, like, the story of transgender women being victims of violence, especially sex workers, although by no means exclusively, that's a very important story that has to be told. But when it's just that story, like, you know, when people who aren't in that community are telling the story, that may be the first thing they always go to because that's what they know because that's what they've seen in every other story that's been told. Or, you know, people might not understand subtle differences. I follow... There are these um, twins who do drag on TikTok. And first of all, they're hilarious. And their brother is wonderful. And their straight brother is wonderful about it. Um, mm-hmm. They they tried to teach him to walk in heels last week, which was <laughs> hilarious. Um, But they're also really great about answering questions like, well, you do drag. Are you non-binary? Right. They're like, no, we're gay men who do drag. But they explained why and what the difference Mm. was. And someone else asked if they were gender fluid and they said, no, and here's why. Right. But if no one is in the room to explain that to people who have not had the experience, then how are they going to know? Right. Yeah. And I think that, and, and, you know, those are all really good questions. Yeah. And, and yeah, I I think that's such a great way of putting it, you know, because, you know, it's so no one story is, there is never going to be like the definitive black story, the definitive Latinx story, the definitive woman superhero story. And there's no such thing as a definitive queer story as well, because that's part of the point is that these communities hold multitudes and that all those stories are, are relevant and valid and important. And I think, you know, but but certainly having the people who's lived experience and having multiple, that's also why having the multiple people in those writing rooms is so important because it's not just like, hey, this is my lived experience. So let me put that on screen as the as the definitive version of the story. Right. And also people handle things different ways. Like I tend to handle my difficult times in life with humor. Other Mm -hmm. people don't. So, you know, if you're trying to write a story where somebody has handled it with humor, then you talk to me. But if that's not what you want, then you need to talk to someone else, you know, because some people don't respond well to dealing with trauma with jokes you know and what else does you know it depends what your audience is going to be it depends how you handle things it -hmm. depends what you want you know your actors to do if it's on screen it depends what the market for your book is going to be if it's a book you know there's a lot of factors involved yeah like i'm i'm a bisexual man who was uh, i'm also a christian i was baptized by an out lesbian 
um, you know, my the, the churches I've been part of have always been not welcoming or accepting, but clearly like queer affirming, queer, you know, very queer churches in many ways. I can tell a story about a certain kind of bisexual man. I mean, I'm not a very good writer to begin with, so I'm not going to write any of this. But if you said, oh, hey, I want someone to write a story about a bi man who grew up in a small town and got rejected by his conservative church, I can't write that story. That's right. not my story. And, and I think, yeah, that's such a good point of like, you know, the diversity in writers' rooms there becoming so important. And that, you know, yeah, if you're telling a story of 50 people, you may not have 50 people in the writers' room. It's not, it's because you also don't want to pigeonhole, like, right. oh, you can write your story and nothing else. But you want to make sure that A, there's people in the writer's room and that the people in the writer's room are also talking to people who have the stories that they don't. You know, it's that just just approaching this all from the sense of I, I want to know what are the things I don't know instead of just writing. Well, you know, I, uh, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, uh, that, that, you know, an Irish character is someone who gets drunk in a bar in Boston, you know, that and hates the English. Like, obviously, I'm using it as kind of a, a humorous example because... Right, right, Irish today are not like an oppressed group uh, the way they might have been like, you know, a hundred years ago. But still, it's that same thing of like, you know, a stereotype that doesn't mean, you know, a community and it doesn't mean you can write that community. Right. Well, we, we've gone on a good while and there's a great conversation. I want us to start moving towards wrapping up, but let's talk about some positive examples. What do you think are good examples in kind of superhero, sci-fi, comic book, fantasy realms of like, this is the kind of representation we want to see more of? Um. Apollo and Midnighter, when they get to be married, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, you know, DC goes back and forth on whether or not people are allowed to be married. Um, at one point, they didn't want Batwoman and her fiance to be married. So nobody was allowed to be married. Um, oh, God. But. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there was. It was. I don't know. Not that long ago. Less mm-hmm. than 10 years ago. Uh, one group, one creative group had Kate Kane propose to her girlfriend and her girlfriend said yes. And then something happened and then nobody was allowed to be married. Like Apollo and Midnighter have been married forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then. Uh, I know one thing you mentioned, uh, it's kind of outside the realm, but we've talked about it before on here because I, I think ice skating is a superpower. Uh, Yuri, Yuri on Ice. And ice are, they're a great example. Although you could argue to, to a very large extent, they're queer coded. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're definitely married. Um, yeah. And they're ridiculous. <laughs> great. It is a fabulous story. It's uh, just to recommendate, quick plug of it, like for those who haven't seen it, it's also, just, I mean, the ice skating itself I, uh, is beautifully done, very accurate. I know that like in the Olympic villages, the ice skaters were watching this, this show because it so perfectly captures like life on the ice skating circuit yeah. and things like that. Yurio um, and Odebeck yeah. also get married when Yurio's old enough, by the way. I've decided oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I am watching that show with my child number two. Um, which is what we call the non-binary child because they were born second. Mm-hmm. Someone was like, you rank your children? I was like, no, <laughs> I just don't call them my daughter anymore. <laughs> That's fair. We have That's to fair. have some way to designate the children from each other. My partner's sister has a kid who is, um, and so I'm, I'm her, I was referred to as her uncle. And like, since I, I, you know, came out as non-binary, it's a discussion we've been having. And, and the, the, 
kind of half joking because again, it's not for for me. I've never had the kind of dysphoria around it. But like, there isn't really a term yet for like what is the you know non-binary equivalent of an aunt or an uncle. Yeah. So yeah, like that. There's a whole world of terminology that we haven't found yet, or that that some communities are using and just hasn't really been widely disseminated yet. We did discover that nibbling is the gender bi- or non-binary for niece, niece and nephew. Or nephew. I like that one because it's like your siblings. Nah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm watching it with child number two because child number two has some anxiety and mm-hmm. was having anxiety about their anxiety that people would not want to be around them. So I was decided to show them Yuri on Ice because of the way that Victor handles Yuri's anxiety. Yes. Which is by finding out more about Yuri and figuring out the best way to help him handle it. Mm-hmm. So um, we are actually watching Yuri and Ice together right now. It's like the fifth yeah, time I, I've watched it this year. <laughs> as someone who has had quite bad anxiety at points in my life. Uh, yeah. Same. Before kind of in remission. Like it, it's a fantastic show on so many levels. I think some of the other examples I just kind of want to run, quick run through. Um, we mentioned uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines, mm-hmm. which I just think is it's so good on so many levels, but especially just in terms of the way they do the representation there. I really love. Um, uh, similarly, again, in that kind of like it's not a big part of the story, but it's confirmed in the movie Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. You know, Harley is canonically queer, as we discussed, but that certainly wasn't addressed in the first Suicide Squad movie or any other times that Harley has been on the big screen uh, before the her Harley show. And I love that they just, they make it so casual but clear. Mm-hmm. At one point, Harley, very early in the movie, is talking about, like, all the all the things basically that happened to her that made her so screwed up. Uh, all the different people who abandoned her, all the people who broke her heart. And she mentions two romantic relationships uh, in college. And she says, you know, and so then he broke my heart and then she, she broke, broke my heart. heart. Yeah. And that's all that it is, but it also is a very clear, like, yep, this is who the character is, and if there's going to be a romantic story, it could be with any gender, but right now we're not telling a romantic story, mm-hmm. and so that's not what, what matters. One I like is um is Heaven's Official Blessing, which mm, is, I don't know that one. it's um from China. Okay. Um, a thing I learned to, and to be aware of is um, calling someone Big Brother or... Um, What's the term? I'm having some memory issues from my medication. No problem. Um, sworn brother mm-hmm. um, can mean very good friend. It can also mean romantic partner. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Because you had to be very careful about what you called people so you didn't mm-hmm. get executed. Yeah. Um, but um, essentially it's about... Uh, a prince who is so very good that he ascended to heaven early in his life and then immediately got kicked out because he wouldn't follow the rules and he kept helping people. Oh no. <laughs> and he's ascended to heaven three times and he keeps getting kicked out. Um, who is in love with the ghost king. Okay. Um, and... It's about their adventures, etc. But the line that really sticks with me from it that makes it a good romance is mm-hmm. there's a point in it where 
so the ghost king is is hiding in a human form this is you know Mm -hmm. from the beginning that this is happening like this is not a secret so he's hiding in a human form and he's done all these things to hide and the prince is letting him (laughs) essentially like Uh you know he knows but he's letting him do it anyway and he says you know but i'm this demon and the prince says to him i don't care i like you and so you know that's it's an it's a kind of like yuri and victor like i Mm -hmm. i don't care you know whatever issues there are you're important to me right um so that i like that one too yeah, and that kind of connects to what I was going to say is one of my other favorites. I've already mentioned Shiro, which is great representation, mm-hmm. um, uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, in terms of like a story about adults, um, The Old Guard, which was a, a movie that came out on Netflix. And it's, you know, it's about, it, it's basically kind of a retelling in some ways. of, of, of it, It's basically like, you know, Highlander with queer characters. Uh, it, it's, you know, a fantastic movie, great drama. And there it is both, it, it's not that the romance is, like there's there's no drama around the romance. It's not a will they won't they. It's not a coming out story, but there is a character. You know, two of the characters are very much in love, and one of those you know the characters are separated by the villains, and the like. I have to get my love back is very much a part of the plot, and they're two men, and the the passion between them, the eroticism between them, the clear like overwhelming love between them is not hidden in the slightest. It is so clear. There's a, a moment where one of the kind of villains says like, oh, is that your boyfriend? And he just gives this incredible speech about how boyfriend could never capture the depth of love mm. and devotion these two men have for each other. It is to me sort of one of the pinnacles, you know, because it is, there the love story is front and center, but not in a way that is, like it's not about the problems of being queer. It's about just, these are two men and they love each other and their love has spanned, you know, hundreds of years because of the superpowers these people have. Um, so to me, that, that's one more example of like, yeah, we, we can have this story and it's not, it, it, it doesn't have to be any of the things people, I don't even want to get into the fears. We can have this love story and it can be just a great part of, you know, a superhero story without it. It can be just a great part of a superhero story. Yeah. I mean, the, um, heaven's official blessing the the demon king has been waiting for the prince for 800 years it's kind of the same oh, thing wonderful yeah nice i like that so we've gone on a bit uh i, I think we've just barely scratched the surface of this topic <laughs> we kind of touched on some parts of it uh is there any other kind of last points or questions or things you wanted to bring up before we start to wrap up um you know like i said i read a lot of genre fiction and like it's one place where um you know i'm I'm starting to see more of these stories where queerness is an important part of the story, but not the point of the story. And I'm Mm -hmm. very happy to be seeing that. And I hope it starts to spread more into comics and the comics related media. Um, And I hope people who are making this media just get a little braver. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I think it's, I love that you talked about specifically as genre media, because I think one of the things that happens is there's sort of a thought of the more kind of like niche the audience for something is, the more chances they're willing to take. And but now that like, you know, the Marvel movies, the DC TV shows, like all this stuff, Star Wars, it, it isn't niche anymore. It's not genre. It's, it's just 
everyone goes to see it. Mm-hmm. And manga is outselling American comic books in the United States. Like they're having a printing that's amazing issue. They can't keep mm-hmm. stuff on the shelf. Stuff is back ordered for oh, yeah. months. You know, so it's. I mean, I remember when, um, you know, as a kid, like me playing like, you know, early Nintendo was like, oh, what kind of a weird aren't you? Aren't you not playing sports? Whereas today, like video games are, you know, complete ubiquitous. And the number of queer storylines in role playing games in, in video games now is just mm-hmm. mind blowing. You know, that's a place where there's they're totally blowing off the doors in these kind of stories. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this. If people want to hear more about you or kind of, I know you do a lot of uh, writing and book riot. Where can they find more of your thoughts? Um, I... I'm on Twitter at S.W. Sondheimer, S-O-N-D-H-E-I-M-E-R. And um, I have a website, which is SWSondheimer.com. That has links to articles and short stories and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. I will definitely put those links in uh, to the show notes. I do have to ask, and I'm afraid you've been asked this 8 million times before, but do people always ask you, do, do people often make the wrong assumption and think that you're talking about uh, Stephen Sondheim musicals all the time? Um, Stephen Sondheim came from the same village in Germany that my husband's family came from. Really? Yes. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> it was the village is Sondheim. So okay. um, when when Jewish families migrated a lot of the time, um, they because of the way people were named, mm-hmm. um they have the same sort of patrilineal naming yep. scheme in in old Yiddish and Hebrew names. So instead of everyone having a different last name after their father, they would take the place name with them. Yeah, that make, I mean, if you, anyone who's ever read or seen the Godfather movies knows that they do that as well. Like Don mm-hmm. Corleone, because he comes from that town in Italy. Yeah, uh, it was either I, the place name or the occupational name. Um, my maiden name is Weinbaum, so somewhere back my family was what made wine barrels okay yeah <laughs> yeah my 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 father's jewish and on his side of the family the the family name is fox and uh you know he will often joke about how he he was one of the first jewish people to go to his to be a member of his fraternity <laughs> he also had blonde hair at the time and the last name fox which most people hear and they don't think jewish they think you know english or scottish right. like old old uh, so, yeah, so I, I get all that. Well, th- thank you so much. Definitely, folks, uh, check out her writings. Great stuff there. Uh, and also check out everything on Book Riot. It's just a fantastic site. Uh, obviously, I, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedbacks. For queer folks out there, we want to hear, like, what are the stories you resonate with? Are there big points that we made that you disagree with or that you have other thoughts on? Uh, and for straight folks, cis folks, like, also would love to hear what you have to think about all this. Like, everybody. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter by searching for The Ethical Panda. That's the name I kind of do as all my podcasting. You can also go to theethicalpanda.com website. You'll find all my podcasts about ethics as well as uh, Star Wars, some other topics. And uh, you can email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. And of course, on the Stranded Panda. And then, of course, this podcast is a proud member of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And there you can find great podcasts about uh, Marvel, Star Trek, uh, you know, different things about uh, right now they're doing a whole series on Fast and Furious, which, by the way, Anytime I ever was like, am I actually bi? If I watched Vin Diesel on screen, I was like, yep, yep, Vin Diesel is, <laughs> yeah, that, that's my man. Um, you know, Fast and Furious movies are fantastic. Definitely worth checking out. There's so much great stuff on the Stranded Panda Network. Check it out, strandedpanda.com. Lastly, just doing one more plug for this. I've been doing a lot more podcasting. On, I've been doing a lot more uh, streaming on twitch.tv. Uh, uh, 
we're starting to do more live recordings of podcasts there so we can take feedback and questions. I'm also doing uh, streams where I play poker and talk about poker, but also talk about, you know, any of these issues that we often get into on these shows. I've talked about Loki. I've talked about Star Wars. I've talked about uh, questions around uh, uh, revisionism and kind of like retelling stories that have been told. So you can find me on twitch.tv at The Ethical Panda. If you just search for that, twitch.tv slash The Ethical Panda, or just search for The Ethical Panda on twitch.tv, give me a follow, even if you're going to turn off subscriptions and not pay much attention. If you turn on subscriptions and uh, turn on notifications, you'll get notified. I haven't set my schedule yet. I'm still working on that. Uh, For now, it's Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. Central, but that may well change. But if you sign up, uh, if you follow me, you'll get notifications. And even if you don't want notifications, it'll still help me a lot. The more followers I get, the higher I go on the rankings, and the more I can start getting more people into the conversation. So please check all that out. Check out, uh, thank you so much um, for being a great guest and a wonderful conversation. And to all of you, have a great day.